Hey, this is Kelly Whiffen. Thanks for joining us today for the Encounter Church podcast. We all want to live lives of better decisions and fewer regrets. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, we believe the next 30 minutes can be one of the most helpful and hopeful parts of your week. At the end of the podcast, stay tuned for a couple messages. Thanks again for joining us today. In 1974-75, Steven Spielberg, a young, less than 30-year-old director, was given his second major film to direct. It was set just a little south of us right now um, on Martha's Vineyard. It was a story about a shark that was kind of haunting this resort town. One of the challenges that Spielberg had was this was in the 70s, and uh, CG and mechanicalized equipment for uh, movie sets was still a fairly new thing. Star Wars was still a couple years away. And so as they set about trying to create this terrifying shark, they noticed they kept having problems. Uh, the shark would eventually be named Bruce um, after Steven Spielberg's lawyer. And what they would notice is that Bruce, first of all, arrives two months late to the set. So they've been filming for two months and they, they're having a problem. Once Bruce gets there, he keeps breaking. He sinks to the bottom. Um, Sometimes he malfunctions. Part of his side is open for the mechanicalized pieces. Sometimes divers are having to swim with him. And Steven Spielberg makes a brilliant move. Um, His director and his, uh, his director thoughts turns towards understanding a part of the human psyche that many of us are experiencing right now. He understands that, well, you know what? If the shark isn't available... How about this? Let's take the fin. Let's just take a fin and move it through the water. And um, the composer for the music uh, comes up with this simple E to F. Dun, 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 dun. As that fin moves through the water, many of us are still afraid to get in the water today because of that simple scene. And what Spielberg understood was that it wasn't the fin that scared us. It wasn't what we saw that terrified us. It was what we couldn't see that made it scary. It was what was beneath the water that brought the terror. You see, uncertainty is one of the most terrifying and uncomfortable things for us to experience as humans. We hate uncertainty. We would rather know we've lost our job. We would rather know what the doctor's going to say. We would rather know where we are in a relationship than to live with the uncertainty of what if or what could be or what maybe is lurking that we just don't know. Uncertainty, when we move into periods plagued by uncertainty, it creates anxiety. It creates stress. And when you walk through uncharted terrain, what you find oftentimes is uncertainty, a sense of lack of control. You find a lot of stress and fear and frustration. And then you mix all that together with what we're walking through right now um, in our nation and in our state. And it's a recipe for disaster. Because not only do you have the uncertainty of this invisible thing we can't see that's causing so many people to get sick, you have the uncertainty of what's it going to be for my small business or what, what is this going to do to my retirement account? And then you mix that in with the fact that life is on hold. It's on pause. And if you have kids or if you were expecting that vacation for spring break, you're starting to deal with grief and loss. And most of us aren't, aren't really comfortable dealing with grief. Most of us don't even realize what we're experiencing is grief. That I don't have to know your circumstance to know that many of you 
especially your kids, are feeling a lot of sadness right now. Because that plan that they'd been looking forward to, that, um, that dance recital, that gymnastics kind of moment, that swim meet, all of that has been taken off the table. And there's no sports, and everything's on hold. And we find ourselves in this place and in this moment of uncertainty. Then you couple that with the reality that you've got people in the house experiencing grief, experiencing loss, walking through all of that. And what happens is this social distancing, this forced togetherness starts to create a little bit of uncomfortableness. You have a bunch of people grieving losses. You have a bunch of people kind of getting irritated because they're stuck inside together. And soon you're not saying this out loud, but you're thinking, man, I sure would like to social distance from some people around me that even the people we're with, we love them, but they're starting to get a little annoying because we're annoying and we're all annoyed in this season. And today what I wanted to do is we wanted to kind of take a break from what we've been doing, realizing with everything that's happened that we know now we're in this thing for at least a month of doing this. We said, hey, as a church, let's take a step back and let's get creative. And so next week, we're going to start to kind of experiment. We're going to start to kind of roll out um, what I think is going to be hopeful and helpful for you in a way that is screen first, because it's different than sitting in this room. Because listen, I miss you. We miss you. It's sad walking through this building and seeing rooms set up that are set up for the Sunday that we never had, of environments and lessons for your kids Like, it's just a sad reminder of being in this room, and there's nobody sitting in the chairs. And so we said, oh, you know what? Let's let's step into your living room. And our family ministry is already leading out with creating screen-first environments for your kids so that your kids have that familiar face in this unfamiliar season. And what we wanted to do today was give you um, a helpful kind of navigation tips. Last week, we talked about having... Scripture as a way of a a north star to help navigate. And we've had um, almost half a dozen of you already sign up wanting to know how you can study the Bible. And if that's you and you want to jump into that class that starts this week, you can go to encounterchurch.com forward slash connect and you can actually sign up for that online class I'm going to be doing. That's just a short, brief training on how you can find the scriptures as a north star as you navigate this uncharted season we find ourselves in. But today what I wanted to do was kind of step into a very unfamiliar story in the Old Testament or the Jewish scriptures of the Christian Bible. This story will feel very unfamiliar, but we're living in unfamiliar times, so it's okay, right? It's about 3,000 years ago that this story plays out, and it's centered around two women, and they're navigating uncharted terrain of a crisis in their community. They are uh, an amazing story to dig into because what we find in just a couple verses pulled out of chapter 2 of the book of Ruth is some helpful tips for you and I as we find ourselves in uncharted terrain. So by looking at this passage, this set of passages today, what you and I can find is some helpful tips for navigating the uncharted terrain. Now, the book of Ruth was written 3,000 years ago, and it's named after one of those women um, named Ruth. Ruth has a mother-in-law named Naomi. Now, they were living in a foreign country uh, called Moab. 
A famine hits Moab, and not only is a famine hit, but uh, Ruth actually loses her husband too. Now, this is a day and age where social welfare systems did not exist. And to be a widow almost meant certain death if you could not find a family to reconnect with. Um, And so this was a really kind of tense time. And Ruth does something that's kind of bold. She says to her mother-in-law, wherever you go, I'll go. Like, I'm yours. She was legally no longer bound to her mother-in-law. She could have returned back to her household and lived there. But instead, she chose to travel with her mother-in-law, Naomi, to a foreign land to be her daughter and to take care of her mother-in-law. Now, I love my mother-in-law, who's currently listening right now. And of course, I would do the exact same thing that Ruth does. But I know for many of us, we would struggle to imagine moving with our mother-in-law after we lost our spouse. But this is exactly what Ruth does. And as they arrive in this foreign land to her of Israel, they settle in a community that Naomi had grown up in called Bethlehem. Bethlehem's a small village, really tiny, and everybody knows everybody there. And so as they arrive and as they begin to settle down, and they're in a pretty desolate place, we find in the story, this is how it starts off, that Ruth the Moabite says to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain. Now you need to know something. In the Jewish law at the time, the provision that God had kind of set into the legal structure of the day a way of taking care of people who didn't have resources to feed themselves. See, farmers were instructed, when you go and harvest your fields, make sure that if you drop something on the ground, if you accidentally miss a plant in the course of harvesting, that you don't go back to it. You leave it. So foreigners and people who are struggling financially will come behind you and they can pick up the leftover grain to sustain themselves in the midst of difficult times. This was the kind of the legal and social structure of the day. And this is why Ruth is referring to the leftover grain to her mother-in-law. And she says, behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor, Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. And so Ruth is saying, hey, let me go. And so she happens to end up in a field with a guy named Boaz. Now, Boaz is a very affluent, influential older man in the community. Um, Boaz is um, kind of comes into the field one day, and as he walks into the field, he notices Ruth. She's new, because this is a small village, everyone knows everyone. He makes the point to say, hey, who's that girl? Where does she come from? And Boaz hears about her story. Boaz um, discovers the backdrop of who she is and where she's come from. You see, even in this passage, we say Ruth the Moabite. When Boaz hears about her, it's emphasized that that's the Moabite. That's the Moabite. You see that word actually frequently in Ruth chapter 2. And what that really is is blatant racism. Uh, The people in that day um, despised Moabites. And so they keep referring to her as Ruth the Moabite. And it's a condescending term. It's a degrading term. But Boaz doesn't see a Moabite. He sees a woman who is working harder than all the other women in the field who've come behind the harvesters. And so it attracts his attention. And when he hears her story, it moves him to the point that when he walks up to her, he says, look, um, I want to help you stay in this field. Don't, do, don't go anywhere else because it's dangerous. And not only that, I want 
my men to make sure that you have plenty of access to grain. And in a day and age where people objectified women and being a woman by yourself could be a really scary, um, kind of terrifying experience, he makes it clear to anyone around that no one better touch her. And so this is why she says at this, she bowed down with her face to the ground and she asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Now, she's calling up the fact that she's a foreigner because everyone notices she's a foreigner. Everyone is degrading her. Everyone sees her as a lesser than. And yet, when she asks the question, here's how Boaz responds. He says, I've been told about all what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and your mother and your homeland. And you came to live with a people you did not know before. Boaz is like, look, I don't see you as a lesser than. You're an amazing woman. The, I've been told about all you've been done. In fact, when he was told, what they said to him was like, hey, uh, in the previous verses before this, the harvesters make the point to say, hey, um, she, she's been working from morning till now. She's only taken a short break. She's outworked everyone in that field. And Boaz is so impressed. This is what he says is the reason. Now, so much about the story I recognize feels different, feels distant. Um, but what is helpful is that in that short little introduction to the story of Ruth and her first interaction with Boaz, what we've actually um, kind of bumped up against, I think, is some helpful tips for you and I. And when we find ourselves in situations, there's two things I want you to notice about Ruth. As Ruth made sure she focused on what she could do, not what she couldn't. When we find ourselves in moments of uncertainty, it's really easy to see all that we've lost control of. It's easy to see all the things that we no longer have in fact, when um, astronauts are being trained to live in the International Space Station, to be completely separate, so you think we're experiencing social distancing? Imagine flying around this giant rock with just a handful of people being stuck there for months, if not a year. There is no backup plan. You are hovering above the Earth's atmosphere in the kind of the void of space. And when they prepare astronauts or when they prepare scientists who are going to be in the research station in Antarctica, one of the things that happens is all, both groups are trained with the same set of routines. They're told to do exactly what Ruth did at the beginning of this chapter. Focus on what you can control, not all the things you can't control. In fact, it might be really helpful for some of you today to just on a sheet of paper draw a straight line. And write things I can control, things I can't control. And to start filling in the blanks on both sides. What is it that you can still control? What is it that you can't? Maybe what you can't control is whether or not you're going to lose your job. Whether or not um, you're, you're going to get sick. Or whether or not, you know, whatever it may be that you're feeling. That you can't control being able to see your friends and gather around and go out to eat in a restaurant there's a lot of small things that I'm sure you and I both miss. But there are still some things you can 
And if you can intentionally fill out that other side, then what you find is Ruth not only focuses on what she can control, Ruth makes sure she's faithful in what she can do. Ruth shows up as a woman who would have been easily overlooked, a woman who would have been easily dismissed, and she works harder than anyone else. She's faithful. She's diligent. She doesn't know how it's going to play out, right? You notice she says, I'm going to go work in a field of whoever I find. Like, I don't know who is going to give me favor. I don't know who's going to give me permission to let me glean and gather the, the, the heart, like the wheat that's been left behind. But I can go out to the fields and find one. I can't control who gives me favor, but I can control my looking. And so she's focused and she's faithful. And these are two, two things I want to encourage you. In this season, you still have things that you're able to control. One of them is your routine. Just like the astronauts, just like the research scientists in Antarctica, there are things in your life you still have control over. Well, in our household, one of the things that we, we, we began talking about very quickly after this happened was establishing a new schedule and a new routine. Like, here's, here's breakfast time. Here's, um, here's lunchtime, here's when school is happening, here's when um, kind of exercise is going to happen, here's when playtime is going to happen, here's when bedtimes are going to happen. That just because life got reset doesn't mean we could still not, we still couldn't set some things in place. So your routine is something that gives you a lot more control than you realize. In fact, this is the very first thing that astronauts and research scientists in Antarctica, in Antarctica are trained to do. They're like, go ahead and determine your routine and stick to it religiously and make sure you don't deviate because your ability to control your routine starts to bring back that sense of control that you have because right now some of us feel like things are out of control our lives are crazy um, we're homeschooling we never went to school for that and now you're an educator in your house now you're trying to manage feeding all of this all these kids and you know, all, you're stressed because you're like, how many rolls of toilet paper have we gone through this week? And, you know, it's going to be seven weeks before that tree is at a place where we can chop it down and make our own toilet paper. I mean, we just start to feel all of this anxiety. And so go ahead and implement a routine. The other thing I would encourage you to do is um, still engage with some forms of recreation. Look, we're really fortunate. If you live in Massachusetts, we have thousands of acres of conservation land all around. And it's really beautiful. And to be, able, to be able to go outside and walk around your house or to walk through a park, not playing on the playgrounds, not necessarily, you know, still practicing social distancing, but to just to be out in nature and to see the blue sky is a reminder that there's still some things bigger than you. There's some things that haven't changed. And that movement, that helps us feel better. Also, one of the things that we can do is we live in a day and age where there's a lot of electronic options. In fact, my daughter this week is really excited about um, what we call lunch bunch because on Wednesdays she gets to eat lunch with her friends through social through like a video call and so because her school is using zoom they all zoom in at lunch together and so she can still she can still experience a little bit of the norm that she had before and she's able to laugh she's able to hear her friends and what they're doing. Um, yesterday, they did a little parade for a friend of theirs that had a birthday party that they couldn't go to. So some of her friends kind of made posters and signs. And my daughter, along with some of this other girl's friends, they rode by her house while she stood in the front yard. And so like, do some things that are fun. Um, 
for a long time, my, my mom um, lives about a thousand miles away from here. And um, my mom's an extraordinary woman. And, you know, early on, we were like, look, we really, you know, I just, I want my, my daughter to know her. And, um, and my mom's got this gift with kids that's really impressive. And so from Ella's earliest ages, um, my mom has um, kind of video called and they've played games together. And so we watched Ella grow up playing board games with my mom, even when uh, there was no way, I don't even know how they were doing it. My mom would just make up stuff. And as we're in this season, I would encourage you to, to do a board game, to, to play cards. Um, the, I was told by a website last night we used to play charades with my sister-in-law and her husband um, called thegamegal.com, where we just, you know, we both pull up the website and we're picking words off of it and we're, you know, being ridiculous on the screen and I'm trying to demonstrate a cow with udders and how to milk a cow to get my brother-in-law to guess it and it's just evolving from there, but we're laughing and we're smiling and we're being reminded there's still some things that we can control. The other thing that I would emphasize and encourage you is um, to be aware of what you can't control. That even in the midst of things that you can't control, there's still some things you're able to do. One of them I would encourage you is the 10-minute worry workout. The 10-minute worry workout is where for 10 minutes, you set aside time to worry. For many of us, we are worrying all day. We're constantly concerned. We're, you know, what if I get sick? Or what if my parents get sick? Or what if there's no groceries? Or what if that package doesn't come on time and we don't have formula? Like there's all of these worries that's constantly flooding our mind. What if I'm ruining my kid's education because I don't know how to homeschool and, you know, they don't get into college? What if, what if, what if? And instead of telling you not to worry, which is impossible, I would encourage you to have a worry workout. Set a timer for 10 minutes and sit down and write out all the worries that you're concerned about. Well, what if I get sick? What if I die? What if my, my spouse gets sick? What if my kids get sick? What if, what if we lose our job and we can't afford? Like, just write out the what ifs. Put them on paper. Because a lot like the shark in Jaws, it's what's up here that's unseen. It's what's up here bouncing around that we haven't written down that's scarier than what we actually write down. Because when you start to write it down, you can start to think about, well, what if I die? Okay? A few weeks before this thing broke out, I developed asthma, which was so freakish. And it wasn't a big deal until all of a sudden a virus starts breaking out around the world that um, turns out people with asthma or immune compromised are in trouble. And makes them high risk. And so now, you know, there's a little bit of underlying fear in me. Or like, oh my goodness, like, I wouldn't have been concerned about this virus as much. And now, now I'm a lot more scared of it than I was. So well, what if I die? Well, have I thought through my will? What if, what if I die? Have I thought through my life insurance policy? Like, there are ways that you can actually work out your worry in a way that works for you. What if I lose my job? You know what? I should know. I should read up a little bit more about unemployment insurance. I should know how that process works. I should do a budget. Because right now, we've never really done a budget in our house. But you know what? I'm worried about our finances. I should do a budget where we're consciously living on less. One of the parts of the Christian ethic that I love is that ever since I became a Christian, I've been living on less than I make. 
Because one of the, the things I remember reading after becoming a Christian in college was this whole idea of generosity that's, that's at the core of Christianity. And so I saw this idea of, it's called tithing in the Christian scriptures. And this idea that like, I, I just go ahead and set aside the first 10% of what I make to, to, to be generous with. And so my entire Christian life, I've lived on less. And, and if you're a Christian and you've been practicing that, this is a really helpful skill because now we're in a season where we're like, okay, what if, what if we intentionally live on 70% of what I make right now? Just on the off chance that we're saving more on the off chance that I lose my job. But that's what this 10 minute worry workout can do for you is it gives you a little bit more ability to manage the things you can't control. And the other thing is, this isn't for everybody, but for some of you, we've become news junkies in this season. We're obsessed with COVID-19 and the crisis, right? And it's good to be aware of what's going on out there. But it doesn't require all the waking hours of our day. Because if we're constantly feeding our minds with anxious, stress-inducing things, then what we're going to find is that we're anxious and stressed out. And so if that's you, if you're kind of obsessing right now with news, the financial markets, COVID-19, that you would set some boundaries for yourself. I'm not saying live ignorantly. You should know what's going on. Okay, if that virus mutates, develops arms, and is stockpiling weapons to invade your house, you should be aware of that. You can get that in 10 or 15 minutes on CNN or New York Times or whatever you get your news from. But I would also encourage you with the news exposure that you also make sure you're picking up news from credible sources. And I don't want to pick on your cousins, uncles, grandmothers, next door neighbor, but they're not a credible news source, right? You have friends that you love. I have friends that I love, but I would never let them fix my car. I would never ask them advice about medical things. Don't Listen to them and the news post they have on their Facebook feed. They're going to terrify you and they don't know what they're talking about. They're just posting and reposting someone who didn't know what they were talking about, who didn't know what they were talking about. And look, I'm not picking on them, but we fall into this black hole and this vortex that sucks us down where we're, we're, did you know this? And did you know this? And did you know this? And by the time we're done, like Bigfoot's involved and aliens and there's conspiracies and it's just, it's crazy. And so limit your news exposure and read and engage with something that's actually energizing and recharging. Because what I loved about Ruth was that Ruth demonstrated for us a type of attitude that says, you know what? I can't control everything, but there's still some things I can and I'm going to focus on those, and I'm going to be faithful in those. So what is it that you can focus on in this season? What is it that you can be faithful in? If you're stuck inside the house with your kids, with your spouse, and right now maybe they're starting to annoy you a little bit, that's okay. Maybe you need some separate social distancing from them too. And to say, I need to take care of myself. I need to take control of my emotional health. And so I'm going to go in the room you guys are going to watch this movie, and I'm going to read. Are you going to have quality time with the other person in the house? Right? To take control of you and what you need in this season. But also realizing that we are literally living in a 100-year event. And that right now we're living through a story that in the end will start to, 
to kind of look back and write a narrative from. And so let's make sure that we're being faithful in this narrative. Let's make sure that we're being people who are known by what we do, by how we love, by how we live. That's why this past Wednesday on our Facebook live feed, I uh, challenged us at 12.25 p.m. every day to reach out, to pray for someone, to encourage them, to text them, to send them something, a note, like just to let other people know that they're going to be okay, that you're with them, that you're for them. Because oftentimes when we're in these moments, we get self kind of focused, we're, we feel our pain, we feel our grief, and there's something freeing about lifting our eyes and taking care of someone else. I think that actually helped Ruth, knowing that she was responsible. If her mother-in-law was going to eat, it was going to be because she worked and she did it. And that probably helped Ruth through the transition of being in a foreign land, in a place where people mistreated her, judged her, all because of her skin color and where she came from. That ability to know, you know what, I'm going to make a difference, even if other people just see me for my difference between me and them. And that being able to be people who are known for the good that we do in this season actually feels really good. And when we come out of this thing, which we eventually will, I don't know how long that's going to be. It'll probably be dark before it gets light. But when we come out on the other side, the story we'll tell will be one of us being focused on what we can control and faithful in how we do it. So take advantage of the moments, the conversations, the opportunities to develop you, to grow, to build your faith, to, to learn how to read the Bible, to explore Christianity. Embrace the potential that's present, not just the problems that are present. And what can happen, this ultimate thing that's underneath the surface, right, is that when um, Boaz sees her, and he's talking to her. He says this line to her. He says, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, whose wings you have come to take refuge. You see, I think that in the midst of all of this story, it wasn't that she was just focused. It wasn't that she was just faithful in what she could do. I think that Ruth had a faith that sustained her, that was her refuge in her storm, that she could find strength knowing that I'm surrounded by so much that I can't control, but I'm standing under the hand of one who is still in control. That I think Ruth understood that God still had the upper hand when everything still felt out of control. And that upper hand was what she was standing under. It was that hand that ultimately she was trusting. Because you notice when she when she's listening to Boaz say all of these kind things, she says, how have I found favor? And then you go back to the beginning of this chapter. What does she tell Naomi? Well, this is what I can do. I'm going to go out and I'm going to work in the fields. The part I can't control is who I find favor with. And I think that Ruth was trusting that God would handle the favor while she handled the faithfulness, that he was in control, that he stood above it all. And some of you need to know that it's never been that business that's fed your family. It's, it's never been those moments that brought richness to your life. It's never been your job that was your security. It's never been the home that you have that's your security. That ultimately, to embrace what Ruth knew all along, he is the refuge. He is the strength. He is the source and the supply. All those other things were resources. God was the source. 
And that to, to take comfort in the source. And you may say, well, look, uh, I've got a real fear. I'm not going to be able to feed myself. I'm not going to be able to feed my family. Look, I'm telling you, this is why this church is here. Is because we get to be the living manifestation of God's love on planet Earth. If you can't feed your family right now, go to EncounterChurch.com forward slash help. And this week, you'll feed your family. We will help you feed your family. Because there are people in this season who call Encounter Church home, who are like our family saying, we're going to live under what we make so that we can be a part of helping others who cannot make it because that gets to be our privilege in this season. And for those who are generous, those who are living intentionally less than what they make on, so that they're partnering with God through the local church, thank you. Because of you, I'm able to confidently say to you right now, who's not sure about your rent this month, who's not sure about your family this month and the finances, that we are with you and for you because God is with you. We want to be a resource, but he is your source. And to take comfort in that. Because God is able, and we are all, if we choose to step underneath it, can be under his hand. And he can be our refuge, like he was for Ruth. And that what Naomi ultimately notices that becomes a larger narrative is when she comes home and she's got all these grocery bags filled with food. And Naomi's like, girl, where have you been? Because that is not normal. She's like, I met a guy named Boaz. I was in his field. And she was like, oh, my goodness. Well, the Lord bless him. He has, stopped, he has not stopped showing kindness to the living and the dead. You see, Boaz is, as she goes on to say, is actually a relative of hers. He is a legal term called a guardian redeemer. See, one of the social networks and nets, welfare-wise, for that community was a guardian redeemer. There was a legal obligation if someone in your family lost a loved one and they were widowed. The family was legally obligated to, to help step in and to kind of buy back the debt, to, to kind of purchase that person who was in poverty and to redeem them. And Naomi's like, oh my goodness, Ruth, you don't even see the storyline you just stepped in. You were just out to get a snack for us. And God was setting up a whole new different storyline for you and your family. What's amazing is the rest of this story is Boaz does become her guardian redeemer. That Boaz marries her eventually. That they have a kid and kids and grandkids and great-grandkids. And shortly after that, one of them is a, a little boy that grows up to defeat a giant named Goliath. And we know him historically as David, the king of Israel. And that David will eventually be the bloodline that Jesus is born out of. And it would be Jesus' death and resurrection that would serve as our guardian redeemer, the one who would purchase us from our brokenness, the one who would step into our darkness and bring light. And that today, we are all physically gathered, listening, watching on a screen, all descendants of this story written 3,000 years ago. And see, here's the thing. Because Ruth was faithful and because she was focused, she didn't know that her faith in the God, who was her refuge, would set the story that would eventually not just rewrite her story, but would be the one that would affect our stories too. It's really hard in a moment 
to see what God is up to. It's really hard in short seasons of pain and grief and frustration to see the bigger storyline and the chapters that are going to be written out of it. But one of the things that you and I can be confident in is that God is still our refuge and strength, that he still is our source, and that he is able to do exceedingly above and beyond, even with our grief and our loss. And so if you haven't taken that step of faith, if you haven't stepped in, trusted him, I would encourage you to do that today. I'd love to connect with you. Jason, who's currently engaging with you on chat, would love to have that conversation with you. We would like for you to have that confidence in the midst of this crisis. And for those who already have that confidence, who know how they can have that relationship, how they can have that spiritual disconnection between God and them restored and be spiritually connected and to stand under that source that he is of strength and refuge, um, for us to be reminded today that we have someone who defeated death. And if he can conquer the grave, then surely he can stand over and sustain us in the midst of this. And not only that, that even if the worst thing on your worry list happens, that even if the worst thing on my worry list happens, if I die, that that's not the end of my story. It's not all over. I'm still alive with him. And that my family is still going to be taken care of. That I have a confidence that transcends this life and into the next life because that's what my guardian redeemer did for me. And that's what he can do for you too. And so I would encourage you, wherever you are in your story, to take a step back today and to say, what is it I can control and what is it I can't? And this week, let's focus on what we can. Let's be faithful in what we can do. And in the moments we're scared, in the moments we're afraid, to ultimately find comfort in the faith that God is in control, even when we're not. Let's pray. Thanks again for joining us. Did you know we've created a free app just for you? Whether you're exploring or want to grow in your faith, the app is a great place to start. If you found today's teaching helpful, we hope you'll subscribe or share it with your friends. We look forward to connecting with you on site or online at Encounter Church soon.